Hebrews Bible Study Number 17 The Slow Death of the Old Covenant For lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from Hebrews chapter 8 verse 13 to Hebrews chapter 9 verse 10. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness, for a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but only deal with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, introduction. The author of Hebrews intimated in the 8th chapter that salvation could not be accomplished through the Old Covenant. It was not capable of achieving the ends which God desired to see accomplished for mankind. And this was by design. In all aspects, the Old Covenant was intended to foreshadow the New Covenant, as all of the objects utilized by the Levitical priesthood were earthly representations of heavenly realities. Nonetheless, it was also predicated on lesser promises made to Abraham and the other patriarchs of Israel, whereas the new covenant was predicated on greater and older promises, necessitating a different heavenly priesthood, that of Christ Jesus. In the ninth chapter, the author describes the precise reasoning for his declaration that the Mosaic Covenant cannot save, while the New Covenant can. Taken as a whole, the chapter lays out in detail a firm separation between the two, contra-reformed notions that they are taken as one, or that the new covenant is merely a development or dispensation of the old. If scripture tells us there is an old and a new, then we are bound by the plain meaning of scripture to confess that they are not the same. This also damages the concept of a 
regulative principle of worship, as a new covenant demands new modes of worship from believers. Furthermore, praxeologically, it renders the Eastern Orthodox imitation of Old Testament sacrificial practices, namely an ersatz holiest of holies behind the icon wall, superfluous. That said, let us explore the first ten verses which describe the method and characterization of acts of worship in the Mosaic Law. Verse 1 through 10 present a delineation of two distinct tabernacle places, both of which are exemplified by entirely obsolete objects. First is the holy place in the tabernacle itself, which is where priests conducted their usual work of intercession for the people. The second was the holiest of holies, here called the most holy place, which was considered even more sacred as the title suggests. It is this place where real, true forgiveness from iniquities was passed on to the people through the Day of Atonement, one single day of the year, provided that the high priest charged with performing the rites associated with it was purified of his sins. The author then highlights the Ark of the Covenant, which was not in the temple when he wrote Hebrews. We will examine both of these and then summarize how the author of Hebrews characterizes this aspect of the Old Covenant. The Holy Place and Insufficient Furnishings, verses 1 and 2. Let us look at the first holy place and the extremely important prefatory statement of the first verse. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. The author says, even the first covenant had regulations for worship. In translating the word men as even in the ESV, it is implied that regulation for worship is extended from the new to the old in comparison, and not the other way around as one might expect. Even is a favorable translation since this Greek word men is typically employed as the first half of a comparison. Uh, even or indeed, there is a concession, but then there is a rebuttal. That rebuttal is provided in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 9. It appears that the author intends to further shock his hearers. After all, to the first hearers of this epistle, the Mosaic commandments precede the new covenant according to earthly time, having been subject to a covenant confirmation feast in Exodus 24. This would make it precede the atonement, wherein Christ institutes the new covenant, by 1,477 years. But in the previous chapter, he established that Moses clearly communicated patterns and designs which already existed in heaven, and there was already a promise of the new covenant in Genesis 3.15. In this sense, we anticipate Christ's priesthood and covenant to be a return to what ought to be, rather than building on a foundation laid by Moses. 
Christ's superiority over Moses has already been established earlier in Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 through 6, and so the comparison continues. Important to this overall theme regarding the supremacy of Christ and his ministry, and the literary motif of comparison, is what the author addresses now, regulations. By regulations, the word employed is dikaiomata, or things declared correct, here understood as standards for worship, an important distinction from hard law, in which case the Greek word is nomos, or commandment, in which case the Greek word is entole. Deviations from these regulations, or dikaiomata, are strewn throughout the Old Testament, and the attempts of men to obey them with and through changes are typically honored or tolerated by God. Thus, the mention of regulations for Old Covenant worship in Hebrews 9 verse 1 is intended to be a further description of the Old Covenant's insufficiency and slide into obsolescence. A tent, the tabernacle, was prepared according to Exodus chapter 26, and sacrificial worship was to be conducted there only wherever the Lord designates the tabernacle to reside, and only in the ways prescribed by the Lord, Deuteronomy 12 verses 1 through 7. Much hay may be made about Nadab and Abihu being killed for disobeying this and offering strange fire in Leviticus chapter 10. But the worship of the Lord in the tabernacle was itself a standard that saints regularly violated with God's apparent approval. First and foremost, Jews in the first century and previously did not have a tabernacle anymore. But this was a command deemed utterly abrogated. The tabernacle regulations and the tabernacle itself were completely ignored after God put his glorious approval on the temple Solomon built, 1 Kings 8 verses 1 through 11. Yet there are Old Testament deviations as well. Samuel and the school of prophets were not punished for worshiping at high places, 1 Samuel 9 verse 12 and 10 verse 5. King David, building an altar separate from the tabernacle and sacrificing to the Lord while not a priest, was not punished. To the contrary, his burnt offerings there stopped a plague from God, 2 Samuel chapter 24 verses 18 through 25. This also goes for regulations concerning the bread of the presence. Only the Aaronic priests could eat it, Leviticus 24, verses 8 and 9. Yet King David and his men eat it and are justified by Christ, 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 6, and Matthew 12, verses 1 through 8. These are but a few examples. Why such thorough treatment of these deviations? The apparent inconsistencies between God's strict regulations and his apparent acceptance of stark disobedience from the Israelites is no inconsistency at all if one recalls Hebrews 8.13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. 
The author brings up the regulations concerning the tabernacle and the holy place as examples of things that, being pictures of heavenly realities, are seen to be insufficient and vanishing even before Christ incarnated. The most holy place and the most holy absence, verses 3 through 5. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the Most Holy Place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. There is a great deal of irony in mentioning the holiest of holies. Remember, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. For the author, becoming obsolete has been occurring for a long time, since the Old Testament era itself. But someone may respond to him, of course the tabernacle is obsolete, we have the temple now. But during the time in which the author wrote, the Ark of the Covenant had been missing since Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem in 586 BC, over 600 years before Hebrews was written. This means that the high priest in Jerusalem literally could not perform his duties on the Day of Atonement in full accordance with the law, which requires blood to be sprinkled on the mercy seat, Leviticus chapter 16. In the author's lifetime, the high priest sprinkled a foundation stone where the ark used to be. For this reason, it appears that the statement of these things we cannot now speak in detail, is not some reference to limited time or space on the parchment the author wrote on. It is more likely that he is saying they cannot speak further of that which is actually absent. So that brings us to the first century situation, verses 6 through 10. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. Special attention must be paid to the 8th and ninth verses, which give a central thesis for the whole pericope, the first section, wherein the showbread and so forth are located, represents the former covenant. The Holy Spirit is demonstrating that one cannot access the real presence of God or the true way of salvation so long as the old system stands.
one is left with the implication that the entirety of the Old Covenant's operations were made entirely obsolete this way. That is to say, the priests in Jerusalem were doing little more than busy work and barbecues after the atonement. The Old Covenant is not just inferior to the New, it is just gone, having been entirely replaced with something better. Not only is it gone, it never truly saved anyone. The standard priest goes into the first section or the area outside of the holiest of holies. Their usual rites and priestly administration cannot actually bring a clear conscience to anyone. Even then, there was indeed a day of atonement, but this only occurs once a year, involving much blood, but no ark. And the author makes it clear that the Day of Atonement no longer provides real absolution. Now Leviticus 16 verse 16 does specify that the Day of Atonement absolved the children of Israel of all of their sins, not just their ignorant, presumptuous sins. Thus, the author, by highlighting these ignorant sins, is emphasizing the spiritual blindness and bankruptcy that the priesthood and people suffered from until the true atonement was performed by Christ. Now, the Jewish rites in Jerusalem do absolutely nothing. Summary. The author prefaces this passage by saying that the Old Covenant is obsolete and vanishing. With his examples, the tabernacle, its furnishings, and the ark, he presents to his readers objects that are already absent in order to underline what has happened. The Old Covenant died a slow, painful death, and its final breath was exhaled as Christ proclaimed, It is finished. Thus, while he has already stated that the Old Covenant was insufficient for salvation, he ties the past to the present in saying that this has always been the case and always will be. The priesthood and laity trying to hold on to the temple system are completely ignorant, if not foolish. Next week, we will delve into what Christ did and why his priesthood and operations are unchanging and perfect in contrast to the descending Old Covenant. Amen and Amen.